Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. My dad always said the South was haunted. And you can feel it too when you go down there. It's thick with ghosts. And so many things have happened there. Things that are that are really terrible. And I think that's part of why the ghosts seem to stick around. Because there's something about it, the history of the South that feels unfinished and, and mostly unacknowledged. And what ghost stories ask us to do is to remember. There is a a dense, humid unsettledness that seems to rest right underneath this veneer of politeness and Southern hospitality and the tendency to smooth things over. And I believe that sometimes that politeness and Southern generosity is really genuine and really heartfelt to the bone. And other times I think it can be used to try and cover up some really terrible things that are part of the history of the South and of that area. So Montgomery is where I grew up and it definitely is haunted. The whole area of the country, that whole area is haunted. And, and there are these big swaths of, of dense forest land and there's very lush riverbanks and it rains a lot. And so it's hot and humid in the summer. And so when you walk from the inside to the outside quickly, it's like you kind of feel like you turn into a French fry. <laughs> so it all feels haunted, but in particular, my house where I lived from the age of 12 to 16. And if you know the area, it's called Capitol Heights and it's kind of close to downtown Montgomery. And the houses are very old. I think ours was probably from the early 1900s and it was, it was kind of crumbly and all the boards creaked and moaned. And when we lived there, it was white white house with blue and gray trim and when we moved in it seemed really big and the four of us my parents and me and Benjamin were really excited about moving in and I guess I should tell you where we came from so before I was 12 we lived in this little little old house in in East Montgomery that was so tiny and it was situated on this dead end circle And it was a sweet little brick house. It was yellowish brick. And I have such golden memories there from my childhood. But when I I turned 12, our family seemed to be shifting into something different. It was a gradual shift, but it was a notable one. And sort of marked by this move from the house on Fieldbrook Court to the new house or to the new old house the Crumbly House on St. Charles Avenue. 
And Benjamin and I, of course, were getting older and getting to be teenagers. So we we were needing a little more privacy and space than the tiny house had offered. And I think it was also sort of the beginning of things getting hard and crumbling between my parents. And my dad was starting to get colder and more removed from our family. He was more distant and more restless, I think. Or at least I was starting to notice it a little bit more. So we found this big old creaky house and we didn't have much money at all. Both of my parents were teachers, but they found this house and it was different than what we had all been used to. It was drafty and not well built, but we had space to go into our corners. And so when we moved at first, it was really glorious. Benjamin and I had rooms that were downstairs and my parents were upstairs and everybody had their own bathroom And when I think about our family now, in retrospect, moving from that tiny, happy, bright house on the the cul-de-sac to this big, creaky, old, spacious house with lots of closets and spaces to hide, places to push things way back. And the house really wasn't kept up to code, (laughs) I don't think. Um, But it was all sort of symbolic now that I look back at it. It was telling and representative of kind of what was happening to our family. The stairs are what I remember the most. Every stair had a sound when you stepped on it. And the wood underneath the carpet was so old. And as you walked up or down, there was a specific kind of song or pattern that the steps made. And I could tell who was walking by the weight and the heaviness of the steps. And the staircase was directly outside my bedroom. So I could probably hear it more than anybody else. And I I didn't notice anything strange right away. But after we'd been there a while, the house started to feel a little bit different. You know, and it could have been us. It could have been all of us were starting to change and and be different. But the house itself just started to feel different too. And it felt darker and more ominous and heavier somehow. And it was pretty gradual. It was so gradual that, that I couldn't really see the line move. But at the, at, the, at the same time and the same pace, our family started to come apart at the seams and the house did too. My dad started to pull away and and walk into the woods more and write poetry away from the house more. And as we would discover later, he was developing a relationship with a woman named Susie who lived in the neighborhood a few minutes from our house. As he was doing this, Benjamin and I were getting older and we're staying out more with friends. And my mom was still trying to hold the fort down and maintain you know, a holding to the center. I know that now. I didn't, I don't think I really realized that then. And meanwhile, the house was slowly getting darker and more creaky and more obviously filled with unwanted and strange energy. Mostly at that point, I think it was just a feeling, not exactly any certain incident that I could tell you about. The house had just sort of changed its personality. When I was 15, my parents sat us down and 
and told us that my dad was moving out. And they said it would just be a trial separation. But my mom told me later that she knew that it was her final decision that she just had enough. And so within six months of that conversation, my family changed from four people to two people living under the same roof because Benjamin was going, he went off to Tuscaloosa to that fall to go to college to the University of Alabama. And my dad, at the same time, moved into an apartment in East Montgomery. And so mom and I were alone now in that big old dark house. And I had the downstairs, the whole downstairs to myself at that point, And she had the upstairs and it, it was just too big and too kind of gaping open for the two of us. And I was starting to go out on weekends until late. I think my curfew at that point was, was midnight. And so I would come in and I would unlock the deadbolt in the whole house. I still remember that feeling of entering the house Um, late at night, it was dark and quiet and my mom was asleep upstairs. And that's when I really started to hear it. Once I would get into bed, and this would happen almost every night, I would hear the stairs start to creak. And it was the, the distinct sound, the certain sound of someone walking on them. It was all the same thuds and sounds that the stairs would make when anyone in our family would walk on them in the same order. And so I would kind of lay there paralyzed listening to it. And then at a certain point, I would rush out into the hallway to look because it was so obviously somebody walking on the stairs. And then there was, of course, nobody there. And I would try to ignore it and I would try to fall asleep. And on Many of those nights, I would gear myself up with enough courage to fling my door open and just bolt up the stairs and jump into my mom's bed and sleep with her. And I, you know, I don't, that did make me feel better somehow that we were together two against one, (laughs) two people against one ghost, I guess. And she would wake up when I would do that and tell me I was being silly and that there was nothing and, you know, say to just go back to sleep. And we repeated that same night, what feels like a million different nights. And this was right about the time I started drinking coffee because I was pretty tired in the mornings after all that adrenaline coursing through my blood the night before. I only talked about this with Benjamin a couple times. I called him at college once when it had just gotten really bad and night after night after night after night I would hear it. And I called him up and and um and I remember you know kind of just wanting affirmation and just saying, you know, somebody's walking up and down the stairs all night long. And I said, you know, it's clearly somebody walking. It's unmistakable from the other noises of like the house settling. And he listened and he told me that he knew for certain that the house was haunted and that in his room, which was right by the front porch, it was towards the front of the house, he would hear this pacing up and down and up and down and up and down on the front porch all night long. And, um, 
that's where he would hear the walking. And he reassured me that I wasn't crazy and that what I'd been hearing was very real. And one night, shortly after I had talked to Benjamin about it, I actually heard someone walk down the stairs. I was in bed. I heard someone walk down the stairs, go into the kitchen, open the cabinet. I heard them set down a glass and pour a glass of water in the kitchen. And I ran into the kitchen because I thought, surely this is mom coming downstairs for a drink because that was just too many very certain sounds and the kitchen was empty. And so I ran upstairs, I ran through my fear and there she was, mom was asleep in her bed. Big things started to fall apart at this point with the house, like the walls we're getting kind of those big cracks that you see in old homes and the foundation was crumbling and there was, there was flooding at one point and then the hot water heater exploded and just big things started to fall apart. And it wasn't, wasn't long after the water glass night that we decided to move. And mom (laughs) to this day has, and she's listening to this podcast right now, probably has never admitted that the house was haunted. Benjamin and I would try to get her to talk about it, but she would just look at us and just kind of ease out of the conversation. She never told us we were crazy, but she just would back out of the conversation. She would always kind of dismiss it and kind of laugh mildly. And a few times over the years, she would say things like that it was that she felt like it was the the energy change of the family or that it was dad's energy in our family, um, you know, had just kind of was operating in a different way. And that ominous and darker energy, that parasitic energy, which was, you know, imposing on us was she just kind of chalked it up to that, that it was coming from that. And I have considered that over the years as a possibility but I think what what is hard to reconcile is that it was so specific what I heard night after night on those stairs. Things lifted for us when we moved from the St. Charles house into this small garden home. Mom and I moved into Dalreda. And it was lighter. The house was actually lighter, like had more windows, but our family definitely seemed to get lighter too. And and we were all starting to find our way and moving, I think really helped because it felt symbolic. And I guess, I guess I will never really know if that house on St. Charles was haunted with actual spirits or if it was just something inside all of us that I was, that I was hearing and feeling I do wonder, regardless of what the answer to that is, what it was all there to teach us. What were the ghosts there to tell us? And why were they so restless, always pacing and walking and pacing and walking? And was it us that was restless? Was it our spirit somehow that were restless? And I think about all of that now. I do think sometimes houses teach us things, sounds teach us things about what we need to move and what we need to 
to clarify and what we need to tack down. I do know that I was watching my mother during that time very carefully. I was watching her construct a new life, a life that was long overdue, a life that had been put off for many years while she patiently tried to be the remedy for everybody else. And so maybe the restlessness was hers. I don't know. But I watched her move us from something heavy and dark to a place that felt cheerful and optimistic. And it was clear of stagnancy and clear of restless pacing. And what happened was, is we flourished in that newer house on Cedar Avenue. So I guess it doesn't really matter what it was on 1915 St. Charles Avenue. Whatever it was, it did its job. It scooted us on to a fresh place where we could do something better than just stay up late to panic and to worry. If you listen to last week's episode about um, about ghost stories also, but different ones, <laughs> then you then you know the gift of being plugged back in to this great mystery of life, of that that we we don't know. So much we don't know. And the ability to be transported or float away, even temporarily, from our tiny little landscape in order to send something bigger than ourselves, that can be the greatest gift of a ghost. Even if it's our very own restlessness, that sometimes it can transport us out of stuckness and then we can move into a new home, literally move in or figuratively. And, and we all need that sometimes. Going, going back a little bit to what I started with, which is how a bigger place like the South can be haunted and restless and heavy from years of history, Sometimes the energy that accumulates around us can be more from a collective place, that it isn't about just an individual. And I thought about that, too, with the St. Charles House, and I wondered what happened there before our family arrived and what other families had walked up and down the stairs and, and what their secrets had been and their restlessness had been. When, when we leave a place after having lived there, we leave our story in the floors and in the walls. The things that we felt while we were in the house get absorbed somehow by the wood or the stone, and they become part of the permanent sounds there, I think. And so it continues. So what part of this helps? I think it's the listening. It's the listening and it's when we we stop fighting the inevitable and we flow with the grain of the ghost. We follow the teachings of the restlessness. Where is it leading us? Where is it asking us to let go of? What is it asking us to do, if anything? And if if you don't know, if it's not clear, then maybe you could do the simplest thing and just ask. I want to leave you today with Sylvia Plath, who's a really special poet and writer. 
Um, and this is a, a song, a Sylvia Plath song called The Ghost's Leave Taking. Enter the chilly no man's land of precisely five o'clock in the morning, the no color void, where the waking head rubbishes out of the draggled lot of sulfurous dreamscapes and obscure lunar conundrums, which seemed, when dreamed, to mean so profoundly much. Get ready to face the ready-made creation of chairs and bureaus and sleep-twisted sheets. This is the kingdom of the fading apparition, the oracular ghost who dwindles on pin legs to a knot of laundry with a classic bunch of sheets, upraised as the hand, emblematic of farewell. At this joint between two worlds and two entirely incompatible modes of time, the raw material of our meat and potato thoughts assumes the nimbus of ambrosial revelation and so departs. Chair and bureau are the hieroglyphs of some godly utterance wakened heads ignored. So these post sheets before thin they thin to nothing speak in sign language of a lost other world, a world we lose by merely waking up into sanity, trailing its telltale tatters only at the outermost fringe of mundane vision. This ghost goes hand aloft, goodbye, goodbye, not down into the rocky gizzard of the earth, but toward a region where our thick atmosphere diminishes, and God knows what is there. A point of exclamation marks that sky, its ringing orange like a stellar carrot. Its round period, displaced in green, suspends beside its the first point, the starting point of Eden. Next, the new moon's curve. Go, ghost of our mother and father, ghost of us, and ghost of our dreams children in those sheets, which signify our origin and end to the cloud-cuckoo land of color wheels and pristine alphabets and cows that moo and moo as they jump over moons as new. As that crisp cusp towards what you voyage now, hail and farewell. Hello, goodbye, O keeper of the profane grail, the dreaming skull. Thanks, everybody. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with your people. If you would like to join our Things That Will Help community and become a patron, we would absolutely love to have you. The information for that is in the show notes to join. Sending great love and blessings to you in this new year. Have a beautiful day. Thanks again. 